I do invite you to open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy 17 as we begin today. So I had finished a study through the book of Philippians the last time I preached uh, in that series anyway. I've done some other miscellaneous things. But what I promised to do next was a study through the kings. Uh, I'm very fascinated with the, the lives of the kings, the chronology of the kings, the interaction of all the kings. But I think it would be fitting for us today to just build a foundation for looking at that study. So I've titled my message today, When You Get What You Want. And that comes right after Pastor preaching about uh, asking you shall receive. So we know that Christmas is coming up, right? We, that's the time when we normally ask people for gifts. And maybe kids are thinking to themselves, oh, there's, there's just something that I, that I want to ask my parents for for Christmas or Maybe a spouse asking another spouse, hey, honey, dear, wouldn't you think this would be a good thing for me to have for Christmas? You know, and, and we want the answer to be yes, because that's what we really want. Well, did you know sometimes there are things that we ask for that maybe we shouldn't really get? You know, we don't always know to ask for the things that we ought to ask for. You know, James would say we ask amiss. You know, we, we consume things upon our own lust. And the children of Israel, as you look at their history, they do have circumstances in their past where they have asked for things and God kind of begrudgingly says to them, okay, I'll give you what you ask for. And then they find out the reason why they shouldn't have asked for it. And such is the case as we look at the history of the kings. You know, it was God's intention that God himself be their king. And Israel came to a point in their history when they would have none of that. And they decided, hey, make, it, make us a king for us, and set him over us. That's the foundation that we're going to look at today. And I've had you turn to Deuteronomy 17. I'd like to have us begin reading in verse number 14. Deuteronomy 17. We'll be taking a tour of a lot of different passages today, so uh, uh, buckle your seatbelts and... Uh, we get ready for the ride as we go. There's a lot of what we're going to look at today. I'll try to get through it all as quickly as I can here and not get bogged down too much in one place. But all of this ties together to give us the foundation for looking at uh, what I'm eventually going to get to the next time I have to preach. And that's to look at the divided kingdom and the kings that came from the northern and the southern tribes. Deuteronomy 17, starting at verse number 14. The Lord saying through Moses says, When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And it shall be, when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book, out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, 
to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Lord, I pray for your help today as I go through this study with your people here, that you would help me to say the things that you would have me to say indeed, even as I sing, and that you would help me, Lord, to, uh, if nothing else, communicate only what your word says and nothing of what my own mind might want to say about those things, uh, but that which will help me to clearly communicate the understanding of your word, that your people might be instructed and Lord, I just pray that you'll work through this time, Lord, and, and through this entire series even as we look at these different people, these different uh, kings that are involved in the history of the nation of your people, Israel. Well, thank you for all that you do in and through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Deuteronomy 17. So, again, this is going to be uh, a bunch of things chained together to look at the foundation of what led up to the divided kingdoms. First of all, we see here in Deuteronomy 17 what I call the prophecy of an earthly king. Now, of course, we know, and I'll get to it later in my message, that there is a heavenly king that was promised to come through even the lines of the kings here. But it, it begins here with this study in Deuteronomy 17 as you see that God knew that this was, they would come to a point in their history that they would want to make this decision. And it's all that very first word that we read in verse 14, when. It's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. God already knew that they would come to a point in their history that they would desire an earthly king. So God is then uh, telling them what uh, maybe some of them are already thinking in their hearts. And up to this point, Moses has already dealt with the children of Israel wanting to turn back to Egypt. And he mentions that in verse 15, that if you are going to have a king, or I should say, rather, when you have a king, let it not be a king that is going to lead you back there. I, I delivered you from the nation of Egypt, and I don't want you going back there. So Moses is basing it partly on that there. So we see this is the certainty of something that will happen. And take note of this phrase here at the end of verse 14. You're going to see this phrase as we go through looking at some of the passages today with these other situations where... Indeed, it does come to pass that they desire a king. So note these words at the end of verse 14. I will set a king over me like as all the nations that are about me. You know, isn't that how we ask for things sometimes? We want to keep up with the Joneses. Well, as far as the, the Joneses of the worldly nations, there's going to come a time in the nation of Israel in their history here where they want to be like everybody else. You know, we sometimes desire those things for ourselves. And God uh, would rather have us ask for those things that he wants for us rather than looking around us. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. And as I go through some of these things, it might seem like a lot of scattered information, but I pray that there will be something as we look through some of these things where you can find an application where there's an area of your own heart maybe in asking the Lord. We've already talked about that today in previous messages with Pastor Walker on Sunday mornings to help check our desires. We, we really want the Lord to help us as we ask for things in a right way. So this is the foundation here. So he gives 
various things that should be true of this king that they choose. There will be other things in other areas here, but note in verse 15. First of all, he must be a man of God's choosing. You're going to see that as we go through all the the different situations where they're uh, instating the kingship, if you will, where this will be a man that God chooses, and we're going to see Samuel as the first uh, coronator, so to speak, as he anoints the kings with oil. That's a Uh, something that you will find even throughout the lives of the other kings as well, where it is a prophet of God who has been told by God that this is the man of God that I want to lead you. So he must be a man of God's choosing. Second of all, you see from verse 15, uh, one from among thy brethren. So in other words, he must be a man from God's people. He's not supposed to be another Canaanite. He's not supposed to be a Syrian. He's not supposed to be an Egyptian. I mean, they already have their own systems. They have their pharaohs and their whatevers. This is a man that's supposed to come from the nation of Israel. And in our country, we have that established where the the American president has to be someone who is a citizen of that country. So, uh, and this is true for Israel as well. He must be an Israelite. Uh, Verses 16 and 17, he must be a man who trusts God's provision and protection. You don't multiply to yourself horses. Don't go to Egypt for the purpose of multiplying horses. And on top of that, uh, verse 17, don't multiply wives to yourself. Are you already thinking of kings with whom this was true, that they multiplied to themselves horses, that they multiplied to themselves wives? We're going to find that even in what we look at today. So he's a man who trusts God's provision and protection. Verses 18 through 20 He must be a man who knows and obeys God's law. All of those verses there, he's supposed to, uh, we see first of all in verse 18 there, he shall write him a copy of this law in a book. Now I don't know that we find a lot of that evidence where kings actually did this. There are evidences where there are certain kings which, you know, in some dusty chest somewhere, they they unearth, oh look, someone wrote a copy of the law here, let's, Let's uh, read it, let's reinstate it, let's get the people back on board with this, like in the days of Joash uh, or other kings. There's a couple where that's true. But uh, they were were in charge of being people who would copy the law in a book. The king, we're not even talking about the priests or the Levites themselves. The king, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book. You know, and this isn't like uh, where they talk about uh, in the, the, the laws of the Mercs and the Medes and the Persians. You know, they, you know they, they, they have those chronicles where they're keeping track of everything else, too. And you put the king to sleep with those kinds of things. That's not that kind of thing. This is, this is a much more important than keeping track of uh, who saved whose life in this situation and who's the recorder and who's all these, you know, these different things. This is keeping track of your very own copy of the, the, the book of the law. How, how many of us can say that we have we have written out the entire scriptures for ourselves? I mean, that's that's a good exercise, right? But uh, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to say I know anybody that's gone through all that trouble. Now, I will say, uh, I, I did endeavor to put together a website years ago, which had an entire copy of the Bible that you could search through on the pages. It's some twenty years old now since I had that idea. I did finally get to the point where I was able to copy and paste from another source where I, I had my very own, what I could call, uh, compilation of the scriptures on a website that I never ended up putting up. 
But I mean, nonetheless, even that took years doing that. Imagine trying to write it all out yourself. And we're not even talking about what we have today, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, and I mean, even at this point, you just have what Moses wrote down at, at the point in Deuteronomy here. I mean, you're going to have others added to that later on, especially once you get through the lives of the kings. You have David compiling things. You have Asaph writing things, Solomon putting things together. But uh, that, a tall task, to say the least here. So a man who knows and obeys the word, you see that through the rest of those verses there. Not only to copy it, verse 19, he's to read it. And also in verse 19, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and keep the words of this law to do them. And all for the purpose, it says in verse 20, that his heart not be lifted up above his brethren. You're going to see situations in the lives of the kings where some people uh, presumptuously took it upon themselves to disobey. Uh, and I'm thinking of Uzziah, where he decided that he would take the role of a priest and go in, and God struck him with leprosy from that point. So uh, there are situations where kings have chosen not to, even good kings, we're going to look at several kings today as we lead up to the divided kingdom where we get to see snapshots of the different types of kings that we're going to see throughout the studies of the kings. You have some where God says, and he did that which is right in the eyes of the Lord. And you have a couple where that's true to the point where even they tore down the high places. They were the really, really good kings, you know, like Hezekiah or Joash. And then you have other kings, which... They did that which is right in the sight of the Lord, but then there'll be disclaimers along their life where they say, uh, for this point in time, this was true of this king. Then you have others where they did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And even in that, sometimes you find a mix of good and bad. Now, some of them are were, as far as we can see in Scripture, just through and through, just totally evil. You know, Would you be surprised to know that even Ahab had just a couple little moments in his life where it looked like there was some humility in his life. So even with the really, and Ahab was considered one of the most evil kings. So again, what we're going to look at today is a snapshot of some of, of those different categories of kings. So some promises here that we see, protection from pride, you know, that's something that we need, Proverbs 16 verse 18. You know, before pride goeth destruction, uh, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Also, chapter 18, verse 12 of Proverbs. Uh, that, his, uh, that he turn not aside from the right hand or to the left. You know, don't let your heart be wandering. That's a lesson that I think we can learn. Proverbs 4, 23 through 27. You know, talking about that very same thought. Not wandering from, you know, looking to the right hand or to the left, but staying on the straight and narrow way. Now, Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart. You know, we talk about the king reading and knowing and obeying the law. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And also it says that he may prolong his days in his kingdom. In other words, he's not going to die prematurely uh, in, in a certain sense. And there's some scriptures we can put along with that as well. Deuteronomy 5, verse 33, and then Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Uh, which speak to that. You know, if, if you obey God, then it, it, things will be well with you. And of course, Deuteronomy 5 is where he, they're talking about the Ten Commandments there. So first we've looked at the prophecy of an earthly king, and firstly in that God's foreknowledge of man's choice. Again, this is God knows this is going to happen. 
Secondly, let's look at man's choice to reject God. For that, I'd like to have you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And so begins this process of the children of Israel and their desire for a king. 1 Samuel chapter 8. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abiah, and they were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgments. So Samuel we would consider to be a, a good man, but he had sons who decided not to walk in his ways. And as a result of that, verse number 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel to Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now listen to these words. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Have we heard those words before, say, in Deuteronomy chapter 17? This is exactly what God said they would say. And now they're asking for this very thing. We see Samuel's reaction to this. The thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us, and Samuel prayed unto the Lord. You know, I think maybe they're part of it that Samuel was taking personally because his sons were not walking in his ways, but God reassures him in verse 7. This is the true motive behind why they're asking for a king. So the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. This is all because they didn't want to have God as their king. They were a true theocracy up to that point, but they were going to now divert from that and ask for some earthly authority to be over them. And then, of course, God, knowing their heart, said, Samuel, go ahead and give them what they want. You know, I, I titled my message, When You Get What You Want. They're getting what they want now, and we're going to see the consequences of that. Uh, verse 9 there, uh, Now therefore hearken unto their voice, how be it, yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. So he says, give them what they want, but make sure that they know that this is not what I really wanted for them in the first place. Uh, and so in, a, in some ways, trying to reason with them and try to persuade them, although he already knows what way their heart is leaning. Now think about Numbers chapter 11. Moses he dealt with a situation where they were murmuring against him because they didn't have enough food. And you know, they were longing for the leeks and the onions, and they wanted, they wanted some meat to put in between their teeth. So they asked for quails, and you know what? God gave them quails. And some of you know the rest of the story, and you haven't had lunch yet, or maybe you've eaten a snack already, but uh, if you're anticipating eating lunch, then uh, you can read the rest of the story after that. But uh, when it was still in their teeth, that's when God judged them for that choice. So not only that, there's an account of that in Psalm 106 where it it more or less speaks to that end. Psalm 106, verses 13 through 15. And a lot of that is a recollection of some of the, the wanderings of the children of Israel. I already mentioned James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. You know, well, first of all, you have not, but because you ask not, but then you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. And so that's something for us to keep in mind for sure. You know, what are we asking for? What are the reasons why we're asking for what we're asking for? Are we trying to take God 
out of that equation somehow? Are we dissatisfied with the way that God has provided for us? So back in 1 Samuel chapter 8, he's saying, okay, let me tell you the kind of king that you're going to have, and then let's see if you really want a king after all. These are some different things that were going to happen. And kind of in summary here, verses 10 through 18, this king would make you his servants. You know, are, are you expecting this person that's just going to, and they're going to confess it in verse number uh, 19 here. We just want someone to go out and do everything for us. It kind of sounds like what they're saying. But this king says, no, he's going to take you, he's going to force you to be his servants, and you're going to do things for him. So you're trying to maybe get out of something here. You're actually putting yourselves in some kind of bondage here to uh, be in servitude to your king. So he's going to make you his servants. Not only that, he's going to take your possessions. Uh, in there it talks about taking a tenth of your sheep, taking uh, your vineyards and giving them to his servants. But you know he's taking things from you. It's, uh, you know, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Well, guess what? We have the... A king of Israel here who is going to get that which tribute is due to him. And by tribute, I mean uh, a kind of uh, taxation in a sense. So is this the kind of king that you want? Samuel is reasoning with them. And finally, in verse 18, I'll go ahead and read this verse. And so after all of this, and you shall cry out in that day because of your king. You wanted this king? Well, guess what? This king is going to make you cry. You're going to cry out to God. Because of your king, which ye, have, which ye shall have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Has the Lord made it clear that that's, that wasn't his original intention? And so be careful what you ask for. God might actually give it to you. Uh, nevertheless, verse 19, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us. Did they listen to anything that he just said? You know, did, did you hear, oh, is this the kind of king that you really want? But I guess that's really what they want. You know, kind of like in Romans 1, where God gave those people up over to those things that they were uh, in, uh, in bondage to. That we may also be like all the nations, we've heard that before again, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Well, if you go back to verse 11, he's saying, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, enlist you to be in the army, you're going to ride my chariots, you're going to be my army, the king is going to sit behind and make his army go out. It's not going to be the king himself that is going out and fighting your battles, I mean, one man against what army is going to win. Well, there's only one answer to that, and we know his name, but that's not what we're looking at right here. You know, this, this is not going to be the king that is going to go out and fight your battles the way that they think he is going to fight their battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Hearken unto their voice, and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, Go ye every man unto his city. So it says, Okay, I'm going to give you what you want. So reaffirming their desire there, and their own self-deception. They, they, they wanted this so badly, they weren't willing to listen to his reasoning. But that was what was on their hearts. So now that we have this process started, I bring you now to point number two, the pride of a chosen king. So next in line here, we're going to look at some actual people here, starting with King Saul, the very first king of Israel. And first in that, we see his appearance of humility. 
just turning over maybe a page or so to 1 Samuel chapter 9, we see Saul's heritage, verse number 1. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of, uh, we'll not mention all the other names there, but last phrase there, a mighty man of power. So do take note of that fact. This is, we're talking about Kish, first of all, who's a Benjamite, a mighty man of power, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly, and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he, don't use that word very much these days, a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. So, you know, a pretty stout-looking fellow. This, you know, you would look at this guy and you say, man, that guy's fit to be a king. He's, he's a warrior through and through. He's that kind of guy who can go out to battle for us. So this is a description of this man, Saul. Saul. I almost said Samuel. This is Saul. So he has this situation where his father's donkeys get lost. He goes on this journey, and in the process of that, he's directed towards Samuel. And God had already told Samuel, be ready for this person who I'm going to send you, and you're going to anoint him as king. Remember what it said back in Deuteronomy 17, that it would be a man chosen of God, and God is showing Samuel this king here. Um, skip ahead to verse 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry is come unto me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold the man whom I spake to thee of, this same shall reign, excuse me, shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where is the seer's house? And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. And so then they were going to have a sacrifice, and he was invited to the feast, and they put him in a prominent place in the feast and gave him good portions there. But Saul's reaction here we see in verse number 21. And Saul answered and said, Am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? You know, you, you've got the wrong guy. You know, I did, I, I'm not the kind of person that's going to be this great leader. I come from the smallest tribe. Who's going to think anything of that? Well, so this is Saul's estimation of himself. And I compare that against the first two verses there you see in chapter number 9. You see that he comes from... Uh, his father, at least, is described as a mighty man of power. And uh, by power there, it's talking about his being wealthy. So he, he wasn't uh, any kind of slouch in society, but Saul, in his own estimation, considered himself, at least at this point, or maybe it's a false humility. That could be true sometimes of us as we assess ourselves, that uh, he has this humble view of himself and his heritage and where he's come from. So we see then at the beginning of chapter number 10 that he is anointed as the king and chosen to be so. Uh, notice in chapter number 10, verse number 8, we're looking at the life of Saul here a little bit. Today is not so much for going through the actual kings themselves, which will be Saul, David, and Solomon, but uh, just to help to set the foundation again for what we're going to look at with the rest of the kings. So I'm just going to hopefully try to point out some things to help to lead us to that point. 
Look at chapter 10 and verse number 8. Thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings, and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. So, clear instruction. Saul, listen to what I'm saying. This is from the Lord. Do Do what I'm telling you to do. So, the instruction there is wait for seven days. After all, he's told them some other things to do here. But then at that point, he says, wait seven days, wait for me, and then we're going to do this sacrifice. So we'll get to that point here in just a moment. We'll come to verse number 17, where we see that he is being accepted by the people now as the king. Verse 17, Samuel called the people together unto the Lord to Mizpah, and said unto the children of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of all kingdoms. And of them that oppressed you. Interesting. Out of the hand of all kingdoms. And yet they want their own kingdom now. And ye have this day rejected your God. Who himself saved you out of all adversities and your tribulations. And he have said unto him. Nay but set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord. By your tribes and by your thousands. So then they go through this process of narrowing down who the king actually is. And it comes to Saul, but uh, you see in verse number 22 that he hid himself among the stuff, whatever that stuff was. But uh, I guess he had trouble hiding because uh, he was the, the kind of person where we already talked about. In fact, it says verse 23, from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people there. So, you know, picture, picture me if you can. Picture an average-sized human being. And then picture that someone... Someone's shoulders come up to the top of my head. I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm taller than the people that Saul was around, but maybe that gives you an idea of uh, at least the, the physical stature of this man, Saul. But anyhow, they have to go out and find him. I don't know if maybe this is another one of those cases of false humility where uh, you know, he's trying to, to graciously deny the fact that God wants to make him king, which uh, perhaps it is a false humility. But at any rate, Saul is accepted as king, verses 24 and 25. Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. So there is not only this public affirmation of the fact that he was going to be their king, they're marking it down for all history to know that This is the decision that they've made. So just like the court recorder is going to read back to you everything that you say in court, there's a record being made here about these people's decisions to make him their king. So second of all, we've seen his appearance of humility. Skip ahead to chapter 12. We're going to see his addressing of evil here. And I've already told you they got what they asked for, and Samuel's going to make sure that they're aware of that. Chapter 12, verse 1. And Samuel said unto all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice and all that ye said unto me, and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walketh before you, and I am old and gray-headed. And behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my childhood unto this day. Israel, behold your king. So, verses 6 through 11, he rehearses their history of the fact that 
Now, even through uh, the Exodus and the times of the judges, they've willingly rejected the authority that they've had over them. They have rejected God as being their leader, and they've gone and served other gods. And that's verses 6 through 11 again there. Just giving them, reminding them of their history helps us to know our history. You know, when someone asks you, do you really want that? And you say, well, I think this would be good for me. And then that person then has to tell you, well, what about this, this, and that? You know, don't you think that maybe this is a bad decision? Well, Saul is saying, well, here's this, this, and that. Don't you think that's a bad decision? Now, of course, the Lord has already told them to follow through, and they've done that. But again, making a record for all to know throughout all history, this is the decision that they've chosen. Verses 12 through 15 there, this is the circumstance that led up to their decision here. And then they see all these other kings around them. And so in verse 12, we get a little bit of that insight. And when he saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, he said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. You know, they, they wanted an earthly leader that they could look at. Reminds me of Exodus 32. Moses was up on, on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, and the rest of the children of Israel, you know, we want not you know, this Moses, where he's gone, and what's happened to him. You know, make us someone to, make us a God that, uh, you know, something that we can look at. So they make the golden calf. They wanted something to look at. So they, want, they wanted someone to look to. They didn't want to look to God. They wanted to look to an earthly authority. Verse 13. Now therefore, behold the king whom ye have chosen and whom ye have desired. And behold, the Lord hath set a king over you. But he does have some grace for this. Verse number 14. If ye will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. This is the Lord's mercy, giving them a second chance. You want a king? Well, I'll give you a king, but I still want you to serve me. So then the rest of the chapter there, verses 16 through 19, Samuel asks for a sign which in essence demonstrates the wickedness of their choice. Uh, verse numbers 20 through 25, he says, yes, you've chosen this, and it reiterates what was mentioned in verses 14 and 15. You've chosen a king, and that was a wicked thing for you to do, but continue to serve the Lord your God. So then the promise in verse 25, if you shall still do wickedly, you shall be consumed, both ye and your king. So hopefully some of these things as we go through them, you'll see it repeated and you'll understand that, you know, first of all, God knew all about this. This is going to happen. And God, despite that, is still making provision for them to do the right thing. But, again, giving consequences that when they choose that God will not be their leader, that he will bring about the appropriate consequences. So, third thing under the life of Saul here is pride of a chosen king is the admission of rebellion. First Samuel 13 there. Uh, verses 1 through 7 there, there's a, a battle that's going to be taking place with the Philistines. And they're, they're setting up their armies. 
And you remember what was said back in chapter 10, verse number 8. The instructions that Samuel had very clearly given to Saul. Something that he was supposed to do and obey. That was to wait seven days for Samuel to come so that they could offer the sacrifice at Gilgal. Uh, verse number 8. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Saul came, and Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. Doesn't it seem like it works out that way sometimes? That uh, you're on the cusp of temptation, and that temptation is so strong, and at the last minute you choose to give in, and then... Right when that moment comes, then uh, it's as if you're caught in the act, as happens here. Now, if you just had, had resisted Satan, resisted the temptation a little bit longer, uh, God, uh, God has promised in his word, has made a way of escape to get out of that temptation. And so uh, we see Saul, unfortunately, succumbing to the desire to do the wrong thing here and disobeying. So this uh, sacrificing, and there's a consequence that comes with that. Samuel calls him out. Uh, verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. So because of Saul's disobedience, he is now being taken out of that place of authority. And you can go back to those people. They were so eager to have that king, and then this is the kind of king that they end up having. You know, Israel, is that what you really wanted? Well, this, this is their history that we go through now. And they suffered the consequences as well for asking for that. But uh, Saul himself received those consequences. And the fulfillment of that will come over time. And I won't get into all the details of what happens between Saul and David. But suffice it to say that Saul was no longer God's man for the job. And, and God even says here, he's chosen somebody else. And he's going to make Samuel aware of that choice. So, uh, chapter 15, skip ahead a little bit. This is kind of fall, uh, Saul's last moment here, where Saul is uh, rejected once and for all. So he's given an assignment. You have the Amalekites, and God says through Samuel to Saul, I want you to utterly destroy them. Note in chapter 15, verse number, uh, verse number 3 there, the, the, word, the instructions were to utterly destroy now, don't leave anything left alive. This is, this is the clear instruction that I have for you to do. And this is what you need to do. Uh, now, I, I know that God knows the future of this, but at the same time, he's giving uh, Saul a chance to perhaps redeem himself, which, again, God knows the answer of what's going to happen here. So uh, we see him uh, going through this trial here, this assignment but what happens, we see in verse number 9, Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good would not 
utterly destroy them. You see the contrast there, verse 3 to verse 9. Verse 3 is what God wanted. Verse 9 is what Saul actually did. God wanted him to utterly destroy them, and it says in verse 9 that he would not utterly destroy them. Direct disobedience from Saul to the word of the Lord. Now, Deuteronomy 17, of course, talks about how he's supposed to know the words of the law and to, to do and to obey it. And he is showing that he is not living up to that standard here. So Saul is confronted by Samuel, you know, you know, Samuel being later years. You know, what meaneth the bleeding of the sheep in my ears yet? What, what, what is this that I hear? You, you say you've done the right thing. And he's going to plead with them saying, oh, no, I've, I've done right. In fact, you see in verse number 15, uh, some of his justification, uh, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Hey, I, I obeyed you, didn't I? Well, obedience is not obedience unless it's complete obedience. And that's a lesson I think we can learn from that. So they continue going through this dialogue where Saul is trying to justify himself and and verse 20, he says, Yeah, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, which was, as we can tell from this scripture, not true at all. And the consequence, again, of this is that uh, verses 24 through 31, he is going to be rejected as king once and for all. So, uh, again, a lesson to us. You know, mind the details. God wants us to be obedient. Let's be obedient to every detail of what God asks us to do. Uh, what God's word says, let, let that be what guides us and directs us. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So next we see the promise of a heavenly king. This is looking primarily at the life of David here. First Samuel 16, we see a man of God arises. So verse 1, Samuel's given the instruction to go and seek him out from the house of Jesse. Uh, Jesse the Bethlehemite which is in the land of Judah. So he's going through, we probably are familiar with the account where he's going through all the sons. He's looking at Eliab. And Eliab kind of has that Saul kind of build too. So, oh, well, this must be the man. But God, of course, reassures him. Verse number seven, the Lord looketh on the heart. And that maybe was a mistake from uh, previously that could be learned from. God looks at the heart. We ought not look on the outward appearance. So they get through all the children. It's like, well, is there anybody left? And then, of course, they say, oh, well, you know, we have this young man out keeping our sheep in the fields here. Well, go bring him. I won't go anywhere until he's here. And so the Lord says, this is the man. You know, again, following that pattern, beginning back in Deuteronomy 17, that the Lord is the one to choose the man. And so David is chosen from the house of Jesse here. And so over the course of this account here, uh, Saul is, has the spirit taken from him. He's troubled. And guess what? As is promised, uh, back from Deuteronomy 17 and 1 Samuel 8, you know, the kind of king that was described to them that is going to take you to be his servants. Well, guess what happens to David here in the house of Saul? Saul is going to say, hey, I need a musician in my courts to be able to refresh me. Oh, how about you, Jesse? Let me take someone from your family. and He's going to be my servant now to play uh, an instrument before me so that I can be refreshed. And so David is recruited. Of course, that's in providence that God would allow that because uh, God
God has all the circumstances figured out how he's going to allow David to become the king. But at any rate here, <laughs> hey, I'm seeking talented musicians as well, by the way. I'm just throw that out there. Uh, so David is summoned to be the servant of Saul here. So I'll fast forward through the life of David here, because that's something that Pastor Walker has already done in our Family of God fellowships, looking at all the details of uh, running from Saul, the different situations that they ran into. And you find finally that in 2 Samuel chapter 2, and these are some details in our Sunday school uh, months ago that we looked at when we looked at the lives of David and Solomon. David was installed as king over Judah, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And then finally in chapter number 5, David is anointed as king over the entire nation of Israel. So we've seen the man of God arise. Now let's look at the God-man who would arise. You know, in, in the midst of this decision, this choice of Israel to choose them a king, God actually uses that to uh, prepare the children of Israel for the king that would come from, uh, that was promised through the house of David. There's the prophecy of, of the lineage of the house of David and the king that would uh, always be sitting on the throne of, of David's kingdom there. And that's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So now that David has become king over Israel, he has this moment where he's, he's kind of feeling bad for God. God just has these curtains that he hides under. And, you know, I have this house of cedar. You know, doesn't God deserve a house of cedar? Well, God uh, tells him that that's okay. I, you know, I, you know, have I ever told you that, that this is what I wanted before? Well, no, that this is... I, it's really just a place where we put the name of God. Brookfield Baptist Church it is not the place and the only place where God abides, but it is a place where God's name is. You can find God here, but this isn't the only place where you find God. And hopefully in our own private times or throughout the week, as we fellowship with each other, you know, as we're in our prayer closets and whatnot, we can find God in our own lives. So looking at uh, David's concern here, you know, he was so concerned about God having a house. Well, he says, I'm going to build you a house in chapter number 7. Uh, and I'll start in verse number 12 here. And when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So not, not just talking about a house of cedar there. We're talking about a, a lineage. And it would be through the line of King David that eventually Messiah himself would come. God is working all these things together for good to accomplish his purposes here. And the purpose being in this case that he is going to bring about the line of Messiah here through David. So this is what's promised here in this chapter. So again, note those words, forever. And so he says in verse 14, again, giving more conditions, things to take note of as we consider all the kings. He says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the children of men. 
But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee, and thy throne shall be established forever. Reaffirming the same promises there. And if you want more uh, detail as far as that goes, Psalm 89 is a good place for you to look. And so David spends the rest of the chapter praising God for allowing him to be a part of this great uh this great prophecy which would come through his line. Uh, so we look now at how not only God's man would arise, but God's man would fall. Or by that I mean David. We see that in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. I won't, again, go into all the details of what happened, but significant in the sense that David's ministry is never the same after this point. You know, and again, quoting uh, Jim Shetler, he was mentioned earlier today, uh, I you know, just to give you an idea of what happens, if you want a quick summary of 2 Samuel 11, David went off duty. You know, at the time when kings were supposed to go forth to battle, David tarried still at Jerusalem. He went off limits. He was walking along the roof of his house and saw Bathsheba. He went off track. He went to go and try and take Bathsheba to his own house. And, and then from that point, he says he went off his rocker. So he went off duty, off limits, off track, and then off his rocker, because you see what he does from that point, going through all these shenanigans to try to, uh, to cover up his sin. But you see in chapter 12, Nathan points it out to him, and giving him that parable of the lambs, and saying, that was you, David. And so what does God say through Nathan to David concerning that? He says, now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house. Because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Uh, verse 14 uh, how be it, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, you've made the name of God look bad because of what you did. But again, the, the, the kingdom consequence is that the sword would never depart from his house. You're going to find other things like that as we look through the lives of the kings, where because kings did certain things, God pronounced certain consequences and punishments upon them and upon even entire families of people and we see it here in the life of David so uh, there is good that comes from that relationship however because we see from verse 24 that Solomon comes from this union and Solomon will be the last one that we talk about today the prosperity of a wise king uh, point number four there first of all his choice for understanding Again, skipping over the rest of all of what happened in the life of King David, we now have a young King Solomon on the scene who was mentioned earlier in the morning message. And he made the wise choice to choose wisdom and understanding rather than all the riches. But you do see maybe him setting himself up for failure in verse number one there, chapter three where Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Maybe a sign of things to come. 
So verse number six, this is part of Solomon's prayer now to the Lord. And acknowledging what he did for David, his father, and the fact that he has installed him as the king and has fulfilled the promise of David to, that there would always be someone, a uh, son sitting on his throne. So now pointing out his own inadequacy here, verse 7, And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. I am but a little child, and I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. And this is where he asks for understanding and discernment. And again, a wise thing indeed, because God gives him exceeding abundantly above all that he thinks or asks, Ephesians 3.20. And he receives riches from God, uh, as is promised. You asked for this, I'm going to give you the riches. Now, go back to Deuteronomy 17. It did say that the king was not to amass to himself wealth, but the contrast here is that God is the one that is allowing him to get this wealth. You know, it's a matter of you know whether God gives it to you or whether you're seeking it out yourself. And the difference here is that God is allowing Solomon to have all of these riches. What will Solomon do as a result of all of these riches and whatnot? We will see. But uh, Proverbs 2, verses 3 through 9, again, talking about the value of wisdom, and that's what we ourselves should ask for. You know, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. So the promise to Solomon here, verse 14, again, as is told to other kings, as has been told in other places already up to this point, if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. Again, going back to Deuteronomy 17, verse 20, that was the promise associated with obeying the law of the Lord. So secondly here, not only a choice for understanding, but a plea for mercy, go up to chapter number 8. This is the dedication of the temple now. And I won't go through all the verses here. But uh, again, in those verses, he's acknowledging God's fulfillment of the promise to allow a man to be on the throne through the line of David, uh, allowing him to be the one that through David was promised to build the temple. Uh, verses 28 through 45, even through verse 53 there, there's some uh, what I call situational prayer requests that would come up later in the history of the nation of Israel. Uh, the one that I will point out begins at verse number 46. Take note of this. This, ties to, this will tie the, the beginning and the end of this study together. It says, If they sin against thee, for there is no man that sinneth not, and thou be angry with them, and deliver them to the enemy, so that they carry them away captives unto the land of the enemy, near, far or near. Yet if they shall bethink themselves in the land whither they were carried captives, and repent, and make supplication unto thee in the land of them that carried them captives, saying, We have sinned, and have done perversely, and have committed wickedness, and so return unto thee with all their heart, with all their soul, in the land of their enemies, which led them away captive, and pray unto thee toward their land, which thou gavest unto their fathers, the city which thou hast chosen, and the house which I have built for my name. Then hear thou their prayer and their supplication in heaven, thy dwelling place, and maintain their cause, and forgive thy people that have sinned against thee, and all their transgressions wherein they have transgressed against thee, and give them compassion before them who carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them, for they be thy people." 
and thine inheritance which thou broughtest forth out of Egypt from the midst of the furnace of iron, that thine eyes may be open unto the supplication of thy servant and unto the supplication of thy people Israel to hearken unto them in all that they call for thee, call for unto thee. For thou didst separate them from among all the people of the earth to be thine inheritance. God always wanted to be their king. As thou spakest by the hand of Moses thy servant, when thou broughtest our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. And unfortunately, we see Kings, uh, 1 Kings 11 there. Solomon goes against uh, some of what he had been instructed to do. He begins to multiply to himself horses, to multiply to himself wives. And so it was promised to him, just very quickly, I'll finish with this. 1 Kings 11, verse number 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servants." Notwithstanding in thy days, I will do it not for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. And so you see through the rest of the chapter, the Lord stirs up certain adversaries, and the most notable of those we see towards the end of the chapter is a man named Jeroboam. A man that the next time I have to look at the kings with you, we'll look at this man Jeroboam and Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But all of this because, you know, we go going all the way back. You know, God wanted to be their king, and God wanted them to know his law and to obey his law and keep his law. And yet we see in their uh, humanness that, you know, we know, and Solomon himself acknowledged it in 1 Kings 8, there's no man that hasn't sinned. And through that, I think Solomon has an idea of, of the depravity of mankind. You know, we have our weaknesses, but if we turn back to the Lord, he will restore us. Even if it means going into captivity, the Lord is going to restore his people. And we've seen even to this day that the Lord has kept that promise.